Just a reminder, because I haven't reminded you in a while, all you kids that are 17 and under, if you do fill out these notes, which parents can help you, my wife, I think, has the candy this week because the Mermans aren't here right now. So my wife will be the guardian of the candy. Um, and if you think you can push her over, and she is tough. I have bruises internally and externally because of the abuse I take. She's tough. Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, we ask for a double portion of your spirit. We ask for an anointing that comforts, that empowers, that transforms our lives. So that the people outside of these walls may see that your disciples in here have been with Jesus. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One of my favorite Jewish stories that you would learn as a child is about these two brothers. There were two brothers who had grown up and actually had lived not too far away and on two different plots of land. And one of the brothers got married and had a bunch of kids. And the other brother decided to pour his life into his acre of, or his plot of land and became very, very wealthy. But they both were suffering under poverty. The brother with the big family under financial poverty. He was always scraping to make it by, just enough to feed his family. And then the other brother, the poverty of loneliness. Well, one year, they had bumper crops. You know what that means? That means they both had an excess. And they thought of the other brother, and they said, the, the one with the family said, my brother doesn't have a family like me. We are blessed. And he talked to his wife, and he said, do you mind if I take some of our bumper crops and give it to my brother? But I want to do it secretively. He said, and she said, yes, let's do it. Well, the other brother said, I have been blessed financially, and my brother over there is always scraping by. I am going to go by in the middle of the night and take some of my bumper crops and put it into his uh, barn, as we will say. And so around midnight, the brothers, missing each other somehow, the, the, the brothers take a bunch of their excess, and they put it in each other's barn. And they go to sleep feeling, you know, feeling good about what they've done. And they wake up and they go into their barn and they see that the same amount is there. And they, they both thought to themselves, did I dream this? 
Did, did, did this really happen or am I going crazy? So they said, okay, tonight I'm really doing it. I'm going to pinch myself to make sure I'm awake and I'm going to do this again. So, so at, in the middle of the night, the brother that was very wealthy takes it over, takes it into that barn, while the other one with the large family takes it over, puts it in. And they go to bed and they're like, all right. I can't wait to my, to my brother the surprise with this. And they both wake up, and they go in their barn again, and it's the same deal. And they're like, what is going on here? They said, we are going to do it one more time, but I am going to be aware of everything that happens in the middle of this night. So they get up, and they take their, in the middle of the night, they take their excess crops and in the middle they start seeing somebody coming and as they get closer and closer they realize it is the other brother and as the story goes whether this is true or not as the story goes they meet each other and they cry and they embrace and the Jewish tradition says and this is where God established his temple. In the heart of love is where God established his temple. The text of Exodus 25 verse 8 is this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. The purpose for sanctuary is dwelling. Remember this. That is the sole purpose for the sanctuary, is to dwell. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, as you will see, there's a couple of questions, number one and number two, right here. And I want you to see this, that the Hebrew words, there are two words that I want to point out here. They're important. One is sanctuary, which a lot of times we have confused. And the other one is tabernacle. And, and a lot of times we have actually thought they are somewhat the same word. We've used them interchangeably. But they are two different Hebrew words. Mikdash, which comes from the word kadash. Kadosh, have you ever heard that word kadosh? Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. So the word for sanctuary, oh, go back. Sorry, one slide. The word for sanctuary is mikdash. And the word for tab tabernacle is mishkan. Okay, so you, can you say mikdash? Mishkan. Okay, now the root words. Now you guys are getting excited about this? The, the root words here uh, is kadash or kadosh, which tra is translated sanctuary, you know, mikdash, is is the word where we get holy. Now, holy in Hebrew just means set aside or set different. We'll get to that in a second. Um, as in the tabernacle, which is translated, which is from the word mishkan, comes from the word shekan, which the word shekina, have you ever heard that word? Comes from shekan. 
Now, shakan literally comes from the etymology that where you would, if you were with a family and you took on a plot of land and you'd lay your stuff out and you'd just lay down there and say, this is mine. When you would go home and you'd say, and you'd lay on the couch or wherever they would, and you'd, this is mine. This word, shakan, which we have translated as to dwell, hence the word, it just means to spread out, to stretch out, to claim this. So in the sanctuary, so remember, mikdash, kadash means what? What is it translated? Holy. And so you have holy, and it just means set apart. But within this sanctuary, the set-apart place, you have this thing called the tabernacle, which is uh, the Mishkan, and it's divided into two parts, right? The first part is, the sort of the outside part is the what? The holy place, which is the HaKodesh, the HaKadesh. And then you have the one is, what is called? Most holy place. And in Hebrew, it's the Kodesh HaKadashim. Now, the Kodesh HaKadashim, do you notice that it has the same word twice? It just says, what it means is the holy amongst the holies. So you're like, why would, you know, because all that it means, if you go to the next, you know, the next part, it just means set apart from something bigger. Or, so you've got this set-apart land, which is where the sanctuary will be, and then you have this set-apart from that part, and then you have this set-apart from the set-apart that was set-apart. Does that make sense? So in Hebrew, it's not necessarily holiness, and this is where we have it wrong in our perspective. Holiness is not about good and bad. Did you guys catch that? It's not about piety. Holiness is not, so we say, oh, I want to live holy. It is not about piety because I, you want me to show you where the, the same root word, kadasha, is? All right, turn to, this isn't up here. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 23. I just want to show you that, that this is not necessarily, there is no good or bad essence to being holy. And, and, and I'll get why that's, that's sort of important. So, so Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17. And it says this, No Israelite man or woman is to become a shrine prostitute. The Kedeshah? Can you just guess what word is kedesha? Prostitute. It is somebody who is set apart for a specific purpose. Are prostitutes good? I mean, is that a good lifestyle to... When we, if we're going to assign a good and bad, where would it be on the, on the spectrum? Would it be on the, you know, say 10 is good, this is not a really good thing, one. Are we, are we going to put it on the good? No. It's just set apart, though. It's the same Hebrew word. 
And the same word is used, and, I, and we don't have to go there, but do you remember the story of Tamar? Tamar with Judah, talking about that Tamar, where Judah, you know, Judah's son um, dies, and then he's, you know, sort of trying to give his other sons to her, you know, because that's the way you do it, so that she would have a seed. And nobody's taking it. And finally she tricks him. Do you, do you guys remember this story? She steals, you know, she takes his, in exchange for these acts, she plays the harlot, it says. And I think that's a King James. She plays the harlot. Kedesha. She plays, if you translated that from the Hebrew, she plays the holy one. Isn't that weird? We are the ones who have assigned holiness to goodness. But in Hebrew, it's just set apart for a specific purpose. I actually believe that when it's talking about be ye holy as God is holy, is it's just saying be distinguished. God has a distinguished people. And when it's saying God, you know, God is holy, it's not talking about piety, even though I believe that God is good in his essence. That's not the debate. But it's saying keep him different than all the other gods that, that Egypt and all these other nations are putting out there. He is different. The Sabbath is different. Be ye different. Don't be like the rest of everybody else. Be distinguishable. That is what the sanctuary is about. To distinguish. But it says that I may dwell with them. And this word shakan means to spread out, to dwell together. I want you to hear this. The main purpose for the sanctuary, the tabernacle in biblical times, was community. And I'm even going to stretch it this much further. Now, this is a little bit of a stretch. The main purpose for a church is community. The main purpose is for community. Ironically, that in many of our churches is sort of the thing that's brushed to the side. Think about, let's just think about this layout here. Let's just, you know, and I'm not picking on this church particular because this is, this is normal for, the foyer is generally our, our place for community, right? This is where you visit with people and especially if there's something going on and you wanted to talk with a friend, you say, hey, go out to the foyer. Go, go establish community out there. And then we have the sanctuary. Which one's bigger? Like a little bit bigger? Like a lot bigger, right? And it's not even designed the way that biblically it's supposed to be designed for community. You come here expecting to watch somebody from here 
to lead you into worship when ideally the worship happens in community. That is the worship. Now, granted, we want to bring the word, we want to sing together, we want, those, are, those are okay, but biblically, the tabernacle was for one purpose, to dwell together with God and with man. By the way, this, now this is Hebrew, but this Greek word in the, in the Septuagint, which means, that was translated to dwell, is used in John chapter 1 also, chapter, verse 14, and it says that flesh, that God was made flesh, the word become flesh, and he did that for what reason? To dwell with us, to dwell among us. And to revisit that verse in Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, then they will, they will make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. In Exodus 29, verse 45 and 46, it says, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them, and I am the Lord your, their God. That same reference is used in Revelation chapter 21. I think it's in verse 3. It says, I will be in the New Jerusalem. You brought it up, Yanina. In the New Jerusalem, I will be their God. I will be with them. Now, here's a really cool tangent here. I mean, it's not really a tangent. It's part of this. It says, I will will dwell among them. Now, that word among, tavek, in Hebrew, means I will dwell in the center. This word is translated the center. See, in the, in, the Hebrew, I, in the Hebrew life, the temple and the synagogues all around in different towns were not on the fringe of town. They were where? The center. Everything about life centered around the sanctuary, the tabernacle. Everything around life centered around the synagogue. It didn't matter if it was secular or what we call religious. It all stemmed out of this center place. This is what we would call now a community center. A place where you would gather to talk about social issues was in the synagogue or in the temple where you would discuss, you would do religious things. You would pray, you would have Shabbat worship those, at those places, but you would also, everything about your life centered around this. And people would meet there every day. Just wondering, is this the model we follow now? Do we gather together every day? Can I ask you guys a question? This is just for my own personal knowledge. How many of you live in Downers Grove? Got one, two? I do. What's up? My house is in Downers Grove. I, this, that's not a, 
It's just where we're at. We are so different than the way it was intended. The whole purpose was for community. Community with God and community with man. So you have the kadosh, which is set apart, the holy thing, the sanctuary. And then you have the tabernacle, which has a set-apart place. And a set-apart that's part of the set-apart, right? The holy from the holies. By the way, do you realize that those are all one set-apart area? It's, it's sort of like, let, let's say it this way. I'm going to use a word. Remember, it's not good or bad, all right? When, you know the Vatican City? Vatican City, which is a, what is it? Is it a, is it a town? Is it a city? Or what is it? It's technically a country. But the country is inside of what? Rome, which is a city. How is a country inside of a city? Now, in geography, that just doesn't work out. You know, my geography class, no, a city is part of a state or a province or something, but the city's always smaller than a country, right? But for some odd reason, this is set apart inside of this. That's what this means. But it's still part of Rome. It's still part of Rome, but its own little set apart. That's what this is. So you look inside the holy place, and the reason I'm telling you this is because we are going to be doing a series. This is introducing a series inside of the tabernacle. And there are three things within what we call the holy place. Can you tell me what they are? The first is, okay, just one of them. Huh? The altar of what? Not, not the altar of sacrifice. Incense, right? So against the veil, you have this altar of incense. On this side, you have something that can be eaten, which is what? The table of showbread. And on the other side, you have something... Yeah, yeah. So the menorah, you have, you have the lampstand. That's what we call it, the lampstand. And those items were made out of what? Well, wood covered with what? Gold. Now, if you, if you know your sanctuary somewhat, so you have the gold items in the middle. And then the tabernacle is put together with these planks, and they fit into these, like, sets of things. And they were made not out of gold, but out of what? What, what, what was on the tabernacle? It's a different metal. It's up there. Silver, right? And then you have, outside of the tabernacle, you have things that are made out of what? Like this laver that is made out of what? Bronze. Which one is most valuable? The gold. The gold is most valuable. Inside is actually the most valuable. This is the most important part. This series that we are going to be doing is about dwelling with God. But dwelling with God takes intentionality. 
So there are some scholars that believe that each of those represent our walk with the Lord. The bread, what we eat, is the word. The altar of incense is what, according to Revelation? The prayers of the saints. And what's the lampstand? What do you think? What, is, what does Matthew 5 say? Let your light so shine. This is the complete walk with the Lord. This is where we evaluate. Am I in one with the Lord? Am I dwelling with the Lord? It takes intentionality to do this. Ironically, the stuff that was made to you to form the, the tabernacle was made also, if you go to the next slide, in Exodus 32, to make what? The golden calf. Again, this is why it's important that we don't ascribe what's holy because what holy means is just set apart for a specific purpose. Those items were holy because they were set aside to make the tabernacle. They were also technically, biblically holy when they were set aside to make the golden calf. According to the biblical word. Now we know that the golden calf was not a good thing. Where are you setting aside your items, your time, your money, your heart? Is it for calves or is it for the tabernacle to dwell with the Lord? I will tell you, I know it, in my, I know it because I've experienced it in ministry and I'm a little bit nervous on saying this, but because I'm part of this output, I would sit in classes. I would sit in seminary classes. I was a biology undergrad, but when I got to the seminary, I would sit in classes and praise the Lord when I was a missionary, somebody told me how to have a devotion. They taught me how to have a devotional walk. And I'm very thankful for the seminary because they helped enhance that. But I would sit in classes and I'd talk to some of these seminarians and they would tell me, well, I, I, I'm studying about God every day in class. I don't really have a devotional walk that I'm doing per se. And I was blown away. That's our leadership. Because you can't give what you don't have. And if you are not daily in the word, if you are not daily before the throne of grace, it won't, you're not going to make an impact with your kids, with your community. This is my challenge. I want to make this challenge to you because I know that this is not the exception. I'm, I, I wish it were, but I know Downers Grove is not the exception. It can't be. We're all human. Every place I go, when I do Bible studies with kids or people, I, I, I say, I'll teach you some information about, you know, but the most important thing I want us to learn together is how to walk with God. 
ironically, what's sad is our evangelistic series are totally the opposite. They are about disseminating information about God and not discipling. Would you agree or no? Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I don't, I, I, I really don't, I'm not saying that they're bad because we need information. I, I, it, this is not saying it's a bad thing. And maybe this is where our congregations have failed. Maybe that's the purpose, the purpose of these reaping series. You know, where we talk about great evangelism, we talk about it so negatively about it in, in the States. And we talk about it in South America, and we talk about it in Asia, and these places where they're baptizing by the thousands. Do you know what the retention rate in South America is? I just talked about this last night. The retention rate is 14% a year later. 86% in one year go in and out the back door. You know, in Asia... Where my dad's from, 8%. 92% go in and go out within one year. We are not discipling. We are disseminating information, and that is not what's happening here. He's saying we are here for community. Oh, we are here for community, community with the Lord and community with each other, which takes intentionality. First Corinthians three says this. It's up there. It says it says because this is very important. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will, dwell, will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. It says you what? Together. Actually, in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, if you go to the next slide, it says you is plural, second person plural. You are singular, the temple. We are the temple. Y'all, from Texas, y'all are the temple. So what you would say most likely is that maybe each one of us is a brick. We are a brick or we are something that is, we are an article that belongs to the temple all created a little bit different to serve a purpose within the temple. But this puts ownership on you and me. Because when we struggle with our corporate church, our institutions, many of us complain about them. Oh, the conference is not doing this, or it's doing this. Oh, we're in tr- oh, the division here, the union, the general conference. Oh, my local congregation is doing this. When maybe, since you are part of this, ownership is on you. 
Because if all of us were doing what we are supposed to do, the corporate would be healthier. Wouldn't you agree? If everything is healthy on an individual basis, if we're all doing, if we are all walking with the Lord, guess what? Our corporate stuff wouldn't be an issue. So maybe where we start is not complaining about the bigger entities. Our start is get into the word ourselves. Get on our knees ourselves. Shine to the world around you ourselves. And as we do it as individuals, our temple will be stronger. Do you agree? So for this to happen, you must be present. You must be present with the Lord. You must be present with your community here. Secondly, you must be committed. This is not a half commitment. Jesus Christ and I know this is hard because we're all on different journeys. But Jesus Christ did not call for half-committed disciples. You're all in or not. Third, you must communicate, which takes time. Yikes. You must communicate with God, but you must communicate with your brothers and sisters here. Fourth, you must trust. It's hard to trust. Some of you have been burned by people in here or outside of there and part of our institutions. You've been burned. But for you to heal, you must trust. And then you must invest back. If you want you to be transformed, if you want this church to be transformed, because we are individually will be transformed, you must invest in the temple. I'm not talking just financially. I'm not even just talking with your time, but with your heart. Give this community your heart, and the temple will get healthy. Intentionality is everything. Do you know, when we use these word disciplines, we, we sort of cringe. It's a, got a negative connotation. But do you know Michael Phelps? Anybody not know Michael Phelps? Um, I don't know. You got to. Yeah, even you know who Michael Phelps is. Right. Do you know that his discipline of swimming is he's in the, he's in the pool six hours a day? Can you imagine being in a pool for six hours a day? Do you not just get tired of being in a pool for six hours a day? Do you know how many calories he eats a day? 12,000. You know what? I've eaten before, and I've probably, I've probably put on, you know, I've probably eaten maybe four or 5,000 at one time where I was just eating and eating. You have to be disciplined to eat 12,000 calories. I, I don't care who you are. That's, to eat 12,000 calories, you have to be disciplined. 
to just keep eating food. It's a discipline. And for you who are married, or, and even that much more with kids, with relationships, it even takes more discipline. You need to carve out that time to spend with your loved ones, with your spouse, with your kids, because if you don't, the world's not gonna carve it out for you. So my challenge to you, as we go through this series in the next few weeks, is be intentional with your relationship with the Lord. Be intentional with your relationship with your brother and sister in here. And by that, we will have a stronger temple.